0: We've been talking about discipleship, and what I want to give you, and I'll give it to you very quickly because it's, it's simple, but yet uh, not in the regards that it's simple, but we've got to put it into action. Discipleship is something that I've been stating that God has called us to, and the first church that was developed was in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember that? I'm going to read it to you in just a moment, but it talks about the first church in Acts chapter 2, and here's what it says. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. How many of you would be a little freaked out if next week you came to church and there were 3,000 extra people here? You know, we wouldn't know what to do with that. And it says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among, among all as anyone had need. So continually, so continuing daily with one accord in the, in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, if you've been in, to Bible college at all, or any growth church growth conference. They love this scripture. They look at this scripture and say, and the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Added to the church daily, it says. But he added to the church daily after they did what they were supposed to do. And so what are the things that make this up? What are the four main gears, if I can call it that, or four gears of discipleship? I'm going to give them to you and break them down a little bit because they were present in the first church and they are supposed to be present in today's church. And remember the church is not about a building as much as it is about you and me, believers of Christ. So, we are called to be disciples and part of that means we have to understand our part that we play. So, the way that you can tell if you're being a disciple is is what fruit do you see? Are you producing anything? You know, no matter what company, I used car companies last week Ford, Chevy, GM, whatever you want to do. I like Dodge, so we'll go with Dodge. If a Dodge manufacturer, if a Dodge factory is not producing any vehicles, we would call that a failure, right? Because that's their job. They are to produce those vehicles because what you produce determines your legitimacy. If you're a disciple of Christ, the question is what are you producing? And I'm not, that's not a a, a condemnation, a heavy, man, I don't know if I'm doing good enough. You are, you're doing great. He is completely happy with you, but he wants to know, are you, where are you at in this process? And are you going to let that flow through your life? Because God's goal is discipleship. It always is. It always has been, always will be. And the way that you know that you're hitting that mark is because you see growth. When you When you had your children, or when you were a child, you were small, and you grew over time. Growth took place. You didn't come out of the womb six foot two, and all the women can say amen for that one, right? Yeah, growth happened slowly over time. You got a little taller. You got a little, a little bigger, a little bit stronger. You learned to feed yourself, clothe yourself, make your own decisions. Um, Change takes place now whether that's healthy or unhealthy is determined by what decisions you make and what choices you make but at the end of it all what 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 god wants to know is is are you comfortable letting the holy spirit be a part of that process because it's the holy spirit who breathes life and brings that transformation process into our lives so is god is god's spirit at present is it is it there is Is it transforming you? Only you can answer that. And Holy Spirit, where are you at in this process? So in Acts chapter 2, the origin of the church, it came into being, and this was the first church in Jerusalem. It says in verse 4, they were filled with the Spirit. It says in verse 38, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus uh, for sins, and receive the Holy Spirit. We, we have to learn how to receive the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus. We can believe in the Holy Spirit. But we have to learn to receive the Holy Spirit because it's the job of the Holy Spirit to ignite within us those things that, that the Holy Spirit is bringing to our attention. You understand what I'm saying? When I gave my heart to Jesus, like for real, for real, you know, and I meant it, it was because I, I had hit so many brick walls. I don't know what to do. And I, I just had that, that knowing. That, that, you know, I, just, I knew This was the right thing to do. It was the Holy Spirit, but nothing happened until I acted upon it. Something had to be ignited. One year, our furnace went out, and you all know how much I love winter, right? (laughs) Not very much. I like, you know, when Pastor Joshua, you were saying, over here, it's dry and hot. I'm like, that's a slice of heaven right there. I like hot. I like heat. I like dry, you know, and so this winter, our furnace went out. And the guy shows up to look at it, and he, I'm dreading the, the bill. I'm dreading what's all broke. He's going to tell me the furnace is out. I've got to get a whole new furnace. And, you know, you're thinking worst-case scenario. But he comes back to me, and he said, no, he says, you're going to be okay. He said, your, your unit's fine. He said, what, what's not working is the igniter. It's a little tiny thing. He said, just the, your igniter's not working. It's a little piece whose job is to send the message to pick up the pilot flame and light the fire, and it's not working. It's not sending the message. It's not getting that across. It's not getting the message from the igniter to light the flame. The parts are working. The message just isn't getting through. And it got me thinking, we as a church, I'm not dogging any churches. I'm just saying that as a church, we can have a structure, we can have a building, we can have a program, we can have the people, but is there anything being ignited within our hearts? Because that's what, what it's all about. If the igniter isn't getting through, then, then, then what, are, what are we left to? Because the first church started, and it says in Acts chapter 2 that it was vibrant. It said that things were hopping. It was happening. It, it was alive, and there was no building, no speakers, no sound system, no music, no parking lot, no bookstores, no radio, no TV, no YouTube, no children's ministry, and no singles group. And somehow, it was a vibrant church. How can that be? Because there there was an ignition. There was a fire from the Holy Spirit that was taking place. The church was on fire. How do we get that? Why did they have it and we don't? Well, he's saying in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit was free to be the Holy Spirit. And the people followed the Holy Spirit's lead. Sometimes we don't experience the fire because we're not asking, Holy Spirit, what do you have to say? Holy Spirit, what do you wanna do? What decision should I make? What direction should I go? And, and what I fear is this. I, I fear that there could come a day when we have programmed Jesus out of the building. We've come up with this and come up with that and come up with this, and they're good. Don't get me wrong. Hear my heart. Programs are good. Outreaches are great. I'm saying that we have to be careful that we don't just try to set up what uh, America says is what the church should look like. It should be what the Word of God says the church should look like. See, the first, the first church had four gears that they were hitting off of, and I want to give those to you. Here's number one. Write down worship. Worship was key. Uh, worship, by the way, is not just uh, uh, praise and worship songs. By the way, Michael, you did an amazing job, worship team. I love that song. I love how you led us into his presence. In, in the book of Acts, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Now, that sense of awe right there, that's, that's, that's worship, okay? That sense of awe, what they're talking about is God's presence, they're feeling this, I, I, I know he's in the building. And it's not about emotionalism. Don't get that confused, you know. It, it isn't Jesus unless I get the Holy Spirit goose pimples or something like that. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit is here, church. He's present. He just wants to know how much of them do you want, you know. Do you want me to lead you and guide you? Or are you going to cut me out of the equation. See, when they came together, they could tell that God was right there in the middle. If I were to define worship, I'd do it just that way. It's the recognition of God for who he is, for what he has done, and what we are trusting him to do. That's what worship is. Worship is making a big deal about God. If, if um, let, Let's say that, we, see, we, we live in a day of celebrity worship, Okay. It's just the truth. It's just the way it is. Now, who I call a celebrity, you may not. Who you call a celebrity, I may not. But just think of who you would call a celebrity. Somebody that's famous. And let's say they walked through those doors right now and they sat down in the pew. What would happen is, is you would, I would continue to preach, but you all would be whispering amongst yourselves because you all saw the celebrity come in, right? You would be looking and not looking at the same time. You'd be trying to be like, well, I don't want to be respectful, but he's right over there, she's right over there, you know, and you'd be distracted by that because there's a name in the building. That's why we would give them our attention, someone who has recognition, someone who has clout, whoever that celebrity is that you like. On their best day, they are a saccharine celebrity, and what I mean by that is simply this: they're a substitute because, on their best day, they can only do so much, and they probably have done nothing for you and for me. Yet we watch their movies, their activities, we watch them in their sporting events, we applaud them. My point is simply this, if men and women who can act or can play ball can get recognized for what they have done, how much more should the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords deserve our worship? How much should he deserve our worship? A celebrity is a celebrity, and they've become somebody, and they honestly don't really know what they've become, but they are where they're at because we have ascribed glory to them. That's why they're famous. Your YouTubers, your TikTokers, I don't know if that's really the way you say it, but I'm going to say it. Whoever we call famous on TV and movies, games, sports, any of that, they are famous because we ascribed popularity to them, fame in their direction. And they are who they are more because of the people that have ascribed that to them than anything else. Well, why does God deserve our worship? Because he's the only one who has intrinsic glory. Let me explain. The best person that you admire on their best day has ascribed glory, glory that's been given to them, glory heaped on them because of their achievements and their abilities, but not so with God. God has ascribed glory, but it's because of his intrinsic glory. Now I know you're like, Intrinsic sounds like a smart word, so I'm just going to nod and pretend like I know what he's talking about. What it means is simply this. Uh, Water is wet because that's the way it is. Water doesn't have to try to be wet. It just is wet because that wetness is built into the water. So wetness is intrinsic to water. Blue is intrinsic to sky. The sky doesn't have to try to be blue. It doesn't have to think about being blue. It's just blue because that's what the sky is. Heat is intrinsic to sun. The sun doesn't have to try to get hot or think about it being hot. It's hot because it's intrinsic to sun. So when you get wet from water, blue from sky, and heat from sun, it, all it's doing is being itself is what it means. The reason why we worship God is because he doesn't have to try to be God. He doesn't have to work at being God. He doesn't have to be goddish. He is who he is because he is who he is. That's intrinsic glory. The reason why we worship him is because he is the only one who can be who he is. That's what it means. So what do you give somebody who has everything? You give them worship. You give them worship. You see, we've got people in our world that we ascribe glory to. We ascribe glory to judges. They have all this authority and all this power. Uh, we ascribe authority and honor and glory to doctors. We do that with, with policemen. But how many of you know judges can be judged? It's possible. Because they have ascribed glory, but when they take that robe off, they're just like you and me. They're no different. But you see, God never takes off his deity. He never undresses his glory. It's simply who he is. It's just simply who he is. So we can sing and we can clap and we can raise our hands and that's all a part of worship. That we 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 can do that. We should do that. It's good to do that. Express ourselves that way. But if you leave God out, if you leave the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit out, you miss the best that he has for you. They said they were in awe. Being in awe is when God shows up and shows off. That's That's what it means. That's when you go, whoa, man, I'm just sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're now worshiping. See, you can hear a sermon and not see awe. You can hear a song and not experience the awe. But a sermon and a song won't fix you, won't change you. But the power of the Holy Spirit will. You can shout, and, and not worship, that's just emotional. There, there, there's emotion and there's emotionalism. Emotion is when, you, when the Cowboys score a touchdown, occasionally, right? I'm excited because of what they did, but emotionalism, you know, you got to be careful of that too. It's when you jump up and applaud, but nothing's happened. You're just feeling something. It's about, it's about how I feel. He says, that's not what it boils down to. It boils down to giving worship to the one who worship is due. God's looking for, you know, when you have celebrities, celebrities always have these groupies, right? They're always hanging around. And what is it that a groupie wants? A groupie wants to be in the presence of the one that they have proclaimed as great. This morning, God's looking for his groupies, if I can say it that way, those who want to be in his presence. So gear number one is worship. Here's gear number two, fellowship. Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. Now, the Greek word for fellowship there is koinonia, which means to share something in common with others. So, to become a part of a common family. Verse 44 says, all who believed were together. Verse 45 says, "Uh, uh," and they were sharing with them all. Verse 46 says, continuing with one mind. all of these were connected terms. And he says, you're to be in fellowship. He said, you're not to be a a, a Lone Ranger Christian, nor are you an only child. The Bible does not say, my daddy who is in heaven. It says, our father who is in heaven. If you are a disconnected Christian, you have blocked the Holy Spirit from changing you. Koinonia. He says, share in common. Here's our problem. We live here in I'll just speak for us in Iowa right now. We live in a consumer generation. This generation asks one overriding question, and here it is. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? If I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do this, or I'm going to do what the Bible says, or what's in it for me? That's why people uh, run around talking about getting their blessing here and getting their blessing there. They want to consume the goodness of God. They want God to do something for them. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, it's not wrong to want God to do something for you, to need God to show up in an area of your life, to ask God to do something for you. But it's wrong to ask God to do something for you if, if he can't also do it through you. Did you catch my heart? Let me say it one more time. It, it, it's wrong to ask God to do something for you that you're not willing to allow him to do through you. You know, we'll have this consumer mentality. Uh, if you're a cul Christian just looking for what you can get, gimme, 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 that, that's difficult. But when you say things like, Father, I'm asking you, Jesus, I, I, I need to see you move in this area, and I'm asking that you will fill in the blank, so that I can, and then show him how you're going to bless somebody else. God likes to work, answer those prayers. Because you're not just saying, Lord, give me. It's, Lord, would you, would you give me so that I can give to others? That's what a true disciple is all about. You know, God told Abraham back in the Old Testament, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. And then, and then through you, all nations will be blessed. That's what he said. See, the moment you only see you, you block God out. And that's not how he rolls. For God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. Yeah, he gave. So how can God flow to me and through me? Well, one of the secrets of answered prayer is this it's when you tell god what you want him to do for you and then tell him how you're going to allow it to flow through you to bless somebody else god loves to answer those prayers now god's not it's the proper word ignorant either jesus give me 10 million dollars and i promise i'll give you know god knows the motive of our heart all right But I'm talking about when you need to see the Holy Spirit move in your life. So you can come to church and you can sit and you can soak and you can sour. You can say, this is my pew, this is my seat, this is my parking space. And all you did was come to church and went home and missed the Holy Spirit. You miss the power of what he wants to do in your life. See, the reason God wants us to be a part, to come together is for the purpose of Fellowship for the purpose of fellowship. He's created the world to, to work in community with one another. That's why fish have schools, wolves are in packs, cattle are in herds, bees are in swarms, because he creates his creation to be in community. So if all you do, I'm not saying you are, but if all you do is come for you, you could be blocking the change that God wants to bring into your life. That's why he wants people to become disciples and then become disciplers. Fellowship. Not just coffee and punch in the fellowship hall. That's part of it. There's no problem with that. It's encouraged. Last, two weeks ago we had worship night. Afterwards we had s'mores. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't cut the Holy Spirit out from that. Because fellowship is important. If you put a log in a fireplace, let's say it's one of those Duraflame logs that are supposed to burn three hours. You put a log in the fire, you light that on fire, because that's what I do because, you know, I don't know how else to get a fire going. Gasoline, but that's My wife frowns on that. So I put one of those logs in there and I light it on fire and it burns. And it does fine and it's okay. But when I add another log to it, guess what happens? The fire gets hotter. It gets brighter. It lasts longer. Because now there's a fellowship of more than just the one log. If you are a solitary saint, you might be blocking the transforming work of the Holy Spirit that God wants to do in and through your life. So he says fellowship. Here's the third gear. The word of God. The word of God. They exposed themselves to the information and application of divine truth. Verse 42 says they kept devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. You cannot grow beyond what you don't know. Knowledge is good, but you don't let it stop there. You do something with that which you know. And and the question is, is where are you getting your knowledge? Where are you getting your truth? Is it from the word of God or from the word of one of your friends? Um. Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? set you free. So the job of the church is to give you God's perspective on every matter. Let me tell you what the job of the church is not to do. It's not to give you an opinion, or to tell you, well, I think, or, or, or I, I feel, or, well, everyone else is saying it, so let's go with that. No, we give the truth from the Word of God. Our job is to give, thus saith the Lord, not thus saith the peeps. It's, what does God have to say? They continued in the apostles' teaching. The Bible calls it, in John chapter 16, calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. That's what he calls the Holy Spirit. See, he only operates within truth. So if the truth is not being communicated, then he's not flowing. And if he's not flowing in truth, if it's not being communicated and implemented, then we miss out on the best God has for us. Uh, You guys want truth. I want truth. But I want it when I want it, and I want it on my own terms. I don't know about you, but I I would prefer that. Why? Because I'm human, because I'm flesh, because at the very core of being a human, there's selfishness that's wired in there. So if people are going to tell me something, I prefer you tell me what I want to hear. That's what I prefer. Maybe you're like that, maybe you're not. But even deeper at the core, beyond all of that, I really do want truth, You really want truth. I'll prove it to you. You go to the doctor for surgery, and the doctor has the knife in his hand, and he says, I think this is the place I'm supposed to cut. How do you feel about the abilities of that doctor? (laughs) I don't think so. You go to the pharmacist, and the pharmacist says, I think this is the right medication, and hands it to you. You don't want him to think. You want him to know. You get on a plane, and the pilot says, I think if we push this button, we ought to be okay. I am not getting on that plane. You and I probably won't use their services because when it comes to your life and my life, we don't want guesswork. We want truth. So it's wired within us. And the job of the Word of God is to give us God's perspective on every matter. And He does it through His Holy Spirit. So let's get this straight. gods I'm just going to say it. God's perspective will often disagree with how you were raised. Think about it for a minute. God's perspective when he speaks to you and you hear him for yourself is often going, often, not always, often going to disagree with how you were raised. Well, Pastor Jim, are you just dogging on your parents right now because of how they raised you and now you got the microphone? And No. I'm saying that when you learn to hear God for yourself, there's times when God's going to speak to you and the question will remain, are you going to listen to God or are you going to listen to others? I had a conversation with my dad at one point, and I didn't warn you about this, so here we go. But it was very simple. I, my dad was giving me his advice. I was praying about what to do. And he was being a hell. It wasn't anything bad. But I got in this point where my dad was telling me one thing and my heavenly father was telling me another, and I was stuck. And I said, Dad, I said, I don't know what to do said, you're telling me this, God's telling me this, which dad am I supposed to listen to? And of course, without batting an eye, he said, you listen to God. You see, there's times when you might find yourself at those crossroads, and that's when you lean into hearing the Holy Spirit. Because otherwise we start saying, well, this is what the world says, or this is what my mom said, or this is what my friends say. Um, but God wants to work within you as he puts it into motion. When I Here's another illustration. You're gonna the restrooms in here if you've gone into the restrooms have you noticed how when you walk in the restrooms the lights come on automatically have you noticed that I know it's weird you're like you're going to do an illustration out of the bathroom at church but that, that's where it first made me think about it I, I love it hy V. have you ever gone to hy V and you go down the frozen, su- frozen food section and as you walk they got motion detector uh, lights there so as you walk down the doors start to light up you know what I'm talking about if you haven't seen it, go to High V. I feel really good about myself when I go there because I wait until nobody's in there and it's all dark. And then I start walking down and as everything starts to light up, I'm like, that's right, I'm here. You know, just kind of <laughs> feel good about myself. But these things are wired in such a way that when you go into the room, the light comes on. When you leave the room, after a period of time, the light goes off. In other words, if there's no movement, nothing is happening. Not because there's not power, there's power going to that switch. Not because there's not something to happen, there is. But what's missing is movements or motion. And it's almost as if the Holy Spirit's saying, listen, I've got power that I want to download into your very life, but I'm looking for a moving target. I'm looking for some motion. I'm looking for you to draw near to me because we draw near to him. He does what? Draws near to us. He draws near to us. The Holy Spirit, there is power there. There is, presence in the, presen, there is power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But if he doesn't detect motion, you don't experience his reality of what he has to offer. He must detect movement. And so we have to come to a place about walking in that power. Which, and then it leads me to my fourth gear is this, outreach. In, in the book of uh, Acts, it said on um, verse 41, that day there were about 3,000 souls added. Verse 45 says, they began selling their property and sharing. Verse 47 says, the Lord was adding to their numbers daily, those that were being saved. Without an outreach program, they were having an outreach program, is what was happening. The reason why we sometimes just, we have to program so much stuff is because we just don't do it naturally. It just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. And what, what the Holy Spirit is looking for is that fire. That burns within us once again. The reason, sometimes the reason we need a program is because we feel like we lost our fire. Now, I'm not speaking ill of any programs, but he's looking for that passion once again, that passion that I see burning alive in these two when they start talking about the children in Kenya. There's something that just starts to well up within their soul. Let me ask you this question What are you passionate about? What is it that stirs your heart that you cannot accomplish in your own strength that you have to rely on the Holy Spirit for? Here, that, that's the that's word we get church. Outreach is a key ingredient when it comes to becoming a disciple. The challenge we have today is to catch fire once again. It's to catch fire. You know, we, I, I get a lot of text messages right now and it's a lot of garbage, a lot of spam. People want me to vote for them, and people want me to vote for them as, you know, the politics thing is happening. And I'm not gonna get on a political soapbox, but I got thinking to myself about how they work so hard to get in this place to serve our, our country, however it is they serve. And I thought to myself, if we can get, a, get excited about candidates who at their very best will serve us for only four to eight years, Uh, If we can get this excited over people who may or may not do what they said as they serve in office, may or may not help us in our position, they have no ability to help you with eternity. But Jesus does. Jesus does. He died on the cross. He rose again. He gives us eternal life. He answers our prayers. He delivers us. And you mean to tell me a political candidate down here can get more attention than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Something's wrong there. See, we lost our fire. Jesus Christ has to be put back on the throne. And so I want to end this way and just simply ask you, where in your life i just going to ask it. I'm not saying you've done it. But maybe where have you dethroned him? Where has something else become priority number one? What is actually the focus of your worship? Don't tell me, Jesus, if it really isn't. Because you'll know. Because you'll give it all your time, your attention, your money. You'll, you'll know. But what is it that maybe you need to, like we sang this morning, surrender to God? I want to ask if you just bow your heads with me. Maybe through this message, the Holy Spirit has spoken something to you that he's calling you to surrender or to give up, to lay at his feet, whatever that is. I want to ask if you just put your hands out in front of you, almost as if you're taking that thing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're presenting it to him. Father, we come to you and we say, forgive us. We're getting our focus so much sometimes on this world or even on ourselves. We ask that you'd recalibrate our hearts. Jesus, today, that which you've called us to surrender, we lay at your feet. And we ask that you'd help us to not pick it up once again. Lord, that you'd help us to recalibrate our minds, our hearts, and our spirits so they're in tune with you. And Father, as we leave this place, may we give you the glory, the honor, the worship that truly is due your name. Lord, may we not just say it, may we not just sing it, but will you help us to live it the rest of our days? In Jesus' name, amen.